This is the animated podcast with me, Johnny Armstrong, where we explore issues that are relevant and at times pressing, and then identify the life-giving principles, the animating principles, that are worth putting into practice in the effort to kill the game and flourish in all of life's dimensions. Now, isn't it true that pain, suffering, and loss are, at various levels, inescapable aspects of our life experience? The struggle for survival, whether it is trying to simply live indoors and have enough food to eat today, stave off a potentially lethal condition, or just make it through the next hour without imploding under the weight of despair and anxiety in the midst of grueling circumstances, can be not just distressing or unpleasant, but downright traumatic. All of us have been touched by this to some extent. And it can be even worse watching almost helplessly as a loved one is in a swirling vortex of misery that itself is a form of suffering that can be almost unbearable. Now, you might be thinking or even saying out loud at this point, this is not what I need right now. How about some amped up positivity to throw some gale force wind into my sails driving me forward, bro? So far, it's a Godzilla-sized anchor pulling me down, and I'm about to cut this thing loose. That is the Godzilla roar. And I have to tell you, I love me some Godzilla. I've got the complete DVD set of the original films from the 60s and 70s. And I'm telling you, if there ever were to be a campy triple feature film festival tournament the undisputed champion would undoubtedly be the following triple feature in order it would be king kong versus godzilla followed by godzilla versus mechagodzilla you heard that right followed by destroy all monsters In fact, you're listening to the climactic scene in Destroy All Monsters, where Godzilla and his squad, his monster crew, are laying the smackdown on King Ghidorah, that three-headed invader from outer space. Treat yourself and your friends to an evening of frivolity with these classics. I'm telling you, it will be worth it, and it won't hurt a bit. But there are plenty of things that hurt a lot, aren't there? Life can be painful, even agonizing at times or for a season. So what are some some principles we can put into practice to better enable us to endure and even prosper in the midst of the struggle since the struggle is real, the struggle is real. It could be hard out there. first thing I'd like to do is to clarify up front the angle from which I approach this heavy subject and everything for that matter. Last year, I wrote and published a book entitled A Thought Out Faith, Christianity as the Best Explanation, which is available on Amazon and paperback and Kindle. There's a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. The book is my presentation of the case for Christian belief and practice as rational and logically consistent, connected to actual events in the space-time history of this planet, 
and experientially relevant to how a person engages life in real time. A person in the modern age can most certainly be an intellectually fulfilled participant in the movement started by Jesus Christ. So perhaps consider taking that reading journey. It's a deep dive, as you can imagine. Not going to wade very far into those depths now, but it's important to recognize the fact that every one of us holds to a set of fundamental assumptions regarding what's ultimately real about the universe, which I often refer to as the nature of ultimate reality. And we bring those assumptions to the table whenever we discuss the weightier issues. There's no getting around the fact that your beliefs about the grand questions centered around the existence of the universe and what a person really is, is going to define how you will view things such as the meaning of life and how to approach ethics. And when you get into issues related to meaning and purpose, you are going to be confronted with what to make of the inevitability of suffering as a part of our life experience. Now, if human beings are nothing more than a bundle of molecules that exist due to a set of happy chemical accidents, then our deepest longings for things such as love, virtue, justice, dignity, and artistic expression, you know, the things that make life most meaningful, are really nothing more than gene-driven survival adaptations. If, on the other hand, you believe that there is a spiritual dimension to the whole of reality that somehow interlocks with ours, and that a human being is more than just a carbon-based machine, then all of those most prized attributes that we've mentioned are symptoms of a higher reality, perhaps even a transcendent mind that is personal, God. Whatever you hold to about the grander issues is going to play a massive role in how you view your experiences related to suffering. That's just a fundamental observation. And since I wholeheartedly and with a fully engaged intellectual rigor believe that the Christian worldview has explanatory power for both our existence and our experience as human beings, then it is going to have to provide some answers for the whole suite of issues connected to misery and suffering, isn't it? And that's what I'm going to attempt to put some handles on in the next few minutes. Now, many perceive the Christian view of God as this sort of slightly detached, yet kindly and sometimes even doting grandfather who moonlights as a 911 dispatcher. We go to his house on certain holidays, but otherwise our encounters with him center around hoped-for blessings of some sort or the occasional emergency when something comes up and we place that prayer distress 911 call. What's your emergency? Yeah, it's me again, and I'm going to need you to send Papa right over. I'm feeling kind of blue. can use some encouragement, so please make sure he has his harmonica and some of them Kit Kat bars. So just get him over here as fast as possible. Thanks a bunch. Bye-bye.
The quintessential Papaw fills your belly with treats, your heart with encouragement, and is ready to stand in the gap to help shield you from hurt the best he can. As far as the standard ideal goes, good old Paps isn't going to make too many demands that cause his grandkids, well, anything other than more hugs, grins, giggles, and, if they're so fortunate, a chance to rub his feet. However, this doesn't match up very well with how the life and teachings of Jesus and the apostles characterize the Almighty. In fact, the Christian worldview actually considers certain kinds of pain and suffering as symptoms of God's loving involvement with a broken world. The very heart of the gospel is the news, not just the concept, that Jesus willingly endured victimhood and suffering at a cosmic scale in order to ultimately set things back to rights and heal the breach between God and humanity. So instead of being merely the adoring grandfather who never sees any flaws in his little beauties and doesn't have the heart to play the heavy and make demands of them, God's love actually manifests in him wading directly in to the weightiest and most pressing of matters in order to do the most loving thing possible. And at times, that includes allowing trials and tribulations that can be quite intense. Now, it is absolutely understandable if this view strains at one's sensibilities regarding just how the most concerned and protective figures in our lives are supposed to act. I mean, after all, doesn't it just seem to make sense that the most loving thing someone can do if he's able is to intercept the darts of pain, evil, and suffering before they land and cause any serious damage? Actually, one of the essential elements of the Christian worldview is how it advances the teaching that suffering can be both meaningful and even shape a person into a stronger, more fully developed version of himself. Viktor Frankl, the Holocaust survivor who went on to become one of the 20th century's most influential psychiatrists and neurologists, thinks so. In his classic work, Man's Search for Meaning, he writes, and I quote, We must never forget that we may also find meaning in life even when confronted with a hopeless situation, when facing a fate that cannot be changed. For what then matters is to bear witness to the uniquely human potential at its best, which is to transform a personal tragedy into a triumph, to turn one's predicament into a human achievement. When we are no longer able to change a situation, just think of an incurable disease such as inoperable cancer, we are challenged to change ourselves." Unquote. I find it fascinating to note that one of the more pronounced concepts one encounters when reading the teachings of the apostles as contained in the New Testament portion of the Bible is what is referred to as sanctification. Here I'll just say that sanctification relates to Jesus Christ serving as the ultimate sacrifice, enabling a person to be set apart for a close relationship with God that includes an ongoing transformation of that person into one who, ever so gradually, over an entire lifetime, increasingly reflects the attitudes and conduct of Jesus in all things, especially treatment of other people. So sanctification is both a state of being, 
set apart for relationship, and a process being transformed into something different. The Apostle Paul wrote quite a bit about suffering as one of the primary means by which God shapes and transforms a person when he writes in his letter to the Romans, and this is from chapter 5, verses 3 and 5. Quote, We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, unquote. So going back to the concept of sanctification, it is often the crucible of trial and tribulation in its various forms that serves as one of the chief means God uses to shape and strengthen a person. Think about it. When you've been victimized, you know what it feels, smells, sounds, and tastes like, so you cannot just sympathize for, but empathize with someone who has been a victim. Your compassion for and patience with that person is intensified because you have breathed that air. Your suffering and pain can actually be the means by which new avenues of tremendous blessings and benefits are paved and then walked upon, first by yourself and then by others you get to escort along the way. What a blessing that can be. One of the more brilliant examples of all of this was displayed by the late Matty Stepanek, the young fellow who wanted to be remembered as a poet, a peacemaker, and a philosopher who played. Prior to his passing in 2004 at the tender age of 13, he had a profound impact as best-selling author of poetry motivational speaker, and peace advocate. Maddie and his three older siblings who preceded him in passing suffered from a rare and previously undiagnosed disorder, dysautonomic mitochondrial myopathy. He was keenly aware that his prospect of living an active life to a ripe old age was rather dim but that only seemed to strengthen his resolve to shine as bright a light as possible in the time and in the spaces he was given. And he set about shining what continues to cast an incandescent glow, clarifying how character, human dignity, and inner peace can be refined, displayed, and imparted in the midst and even as a result of suffering. Here's the dedication for Maddie's first published book of poems, Journey Through Heart Songs, first printed when he was 11. Quote, this book is dedicated to those who believe in celebrating the gifts of life every day, especially my mom, all of my kin, and the entire staff of the pediatric intensive care unit at Children's National Medical Center. Always remember to play after every storm, unquote. This fellow inspired us all to take to heart the importance of not just acknowledging, but celebrating life's gifts every day, especially after a storm. And this was within the context of a reality whereby one of his primary stomping grounds happened to be 
a pediatric ICU. Following is Maddie reading one of the poems from, from this collection entitled On Being Thankful. On Being Thankful. Dear God, I was going to thank you tonight for a beautiful sunrise that was pink behind the fog down the hill and for a wonderful rainbow that I ran under pointing to all my favorite colors and for such a great sunset that sparkled orange across the water. I was going to thank you tonight for all of these special gifts, except that none of them happened. But do you know what? I still love you, God. And I have lots of other things that I can thank you for tonight, even if you didn't give those very special gifts to me today. It's okay, God, because I'll look for them all again when my tomorrow comes. Amen. Maddie has shown us what it looks like to take hold of and live in peace in the midst of challenging and unchangeable circumstances. Instead of simply enduring the worst and giving in to bitterness and resentment toward God and others, he made a lasting treasure out of what some might have considered ashes. His legacy of an expectant hope enlightens many minds and hearts even today, even right this very second, right? Was all this fellow exemplified and taught nothing more than the outworking of biology-driven survival adaptation and strategy? Or was his voice an echo of the ultimate voice that resonates within and calls out to the souls of humanity? So in the context of our discussion, Maddie has provided a view into the links between things like suffering empathy, and asking the deeper questions that can lead to and even become the door through which a person enters a whole new world of understanding, clarity, and even thankfulness. He has shown us how life's contrasts, such as pleasure versus pain and happiness versus sorrow, not only reflect but also heighten our sense of purpose, meaning, and awareness of self and others and what is most important about our existence. And suffering, which can reside at the crossroads of one's views of meaning and justice, remains as one of life's most clarifying intensifiers. This is especially the case when we are both heartbroken and inspired by those in the midst of crushing circumstances. Recently, I spent an afternoon in the hospital with my precious little 88-year-old mother who was being treated for symptoms related to her failing heart. As we held hands and peered out of the fourth floor window at an overcast gray sky that most people would find less than appealing, if not downright depressing, she said, look at all the different shades and shapes. I said, of what? Thinking she was probably referring to the cars in the lot below. But she said, the sky. Look at the different shades of gray and all the shapes of the clouds. I wonder who organizes that. Then it dawned on me. <laughs> what a profound reminder 
that when things look gray and even ominous, we can draw comfort by finding beauty, structure, and even some transcendent purpose in it all, even when many might say, that's sad. My mother has shown us how to seize control over our perspective and recast our skies, our gray skies as beautiful, not sad. That is key in the effort to experience peace and calm in the midst of trial and suffering. And for those who have been and continue to be genuinely affected by the life and teachings of Jesus, including claims of eyewitnesses who saw him use suffering and death to ultimately conquer death, there is a tangible hope and strength that can enable a person to endure the hard slog through the darkest valleys. It's all about centering your hope in and trying to draw power from something or someone transcendent and lasting and there that can actually deliver the goods. Adopting the proper perspective is key to this as it enables us to properly distinguish between the good things and the ultimate things. The good things, health, financial stability, accomplishments with maybe a little notoriety, exciting life experiences, those are good things, but the ultimate things are love, compassion, kindness, virtue, intimate relationship with God and your fellow man. There's a difference. It's about having things in the proper order. When we learn to treasure and prioritize the ultimate things, then we can lose some of the good things without losing ourselves in the midst of trial, misery, and suffering. That's what Jesus taught and exemplified, and it's what we can glean from looking at people like Maddie Stepanek and, and my little mom and those in your own lives or maybe right in the mirror. So as we work on this, it's, it's what others may be able to learn from watching you and me as we suffer well, navigating life's challenging landscape, right? Well, that's a wrap for this episode. Sure hope you found some useful insights to fuel your fury as you are rolling in the thick of things out there, my friends. If so, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Helps get the word out. You might also share the link on your social media platforms so your loved ones can benefit from what you consider to be helpful. And a special thanks and shout out to my man, Rare Bear, whose song, That's Sad, was the backdrop of the last segment. And in fact, his song, Discovery, is what you are hearing now in the background as it bookends pretty much every episode of this podcast. <laughs> you can check his work out on Spotify, and it's Rare Bear with two R's, R-R-A-R-B-E-A-R. And he is on Instagram at Rare Bear Beats check the show notes for links there his his work is worth consuming they are chill vibes 
that soothe the savage soul. Check it out. Now, until next time, stay animated, practicing kind thoughts toward and praying for everyone you encounter or whoever comes to mind. Love your neighbor as you love yourself and watch your world change. Peace.